0: sketches by boz section sixteen this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by brad phillipone sketches by boz by charles dickens section sixteen scenes chapter nine london recreations the wish of persons in the humbler classes of life to ape the manners and customs of those whom fortune has placed above them is often the subject of remark and not unfrequently of complaint the inclination may and no doubt does exist to a great extent among the small gentility the would-be aristocrats of the middle classes tradesmen and clerks with fashionable novel-reading families and circulating library-subscribing daughters get up small assemblies in humble imitation of almack's and promenade the dingy large room of some second-rate hotel with as much complacency as the enviable few who are privileged to exhibit their magnificence in that exclusive haunt of fashion and foolery aspiring young ladies who read flaming accounts of some fancy fair and high life suddenly grow desperately charitable visions of admiration and matrimony float before their eyes some wonderfully meritorious institution which by the strangest accident in the world has never been heard of before is discovered to be in a languishing condition thompson's great room or johnson's nursery ground is forthwith engaged and the aforesaid young ladies from mere charity exhibit themselves for three days from twelve to four for the small charge of one shilling per head with the exception of these classes of society however and a few weak and insignificant persons we do not think the attempt at invitation to which we have alluded prevails in any great degree The different character of the recreations of different classes has often afforded us amusement, and we have chosen it for the subject of our present sketch in the hope that it may possess some amusement for our readers. If the regular city man who leaves Lloyd's at five o'clock and drives home to Hackney, Clapton, Stamford Hill, or elsewhere, can be said to have any daily recreation beyond his dinner, it is his garden. He never does anything to it with his own hands, but he takes great pride in it notwithstanding and if you are desirous of paying your addresses to the youngest daughter be sure to be in raptures with every flower and shrub it contains if your poverty of expression compel you to make any distinction between the two we would certainly recommend your bestowing more admiration on his garden than his wine he always takes a walk round it before he starts for town in the morning and is particularly anxious that the fish-pond should be kept specially neat if you call him on sunday in summer-time about an hour before dinner you will find him sitting in an armchair on the lawn behind the house with a straw hat on reading a sunday paper a short distance from him you will most likely observe a handsome paroquet in a large brass-wire cage Ten to one, but the two eldest girls are loitering in one side of the walks accompanied by a couple of young gentlemen who are holding parasols over them. Of course, only to keep the sun off, while the younger children, with the under-nursery maid, are strolling listlessly about in the shade. Beyond these occasions, his delight in his garden appears to arise more from the consciousness of possession than actual enjoyment of it. When he drives you down to dinner on a weekday, He is rather fatigued with the occupations of the morning, and tolerably cross into the bargain, but when the cloth is removed, and he has drank three or four glasses of his favourite port, he orders the French windows of his dressing-room, which of course look into the garden, to be opened, and throwing a silk handkerchief over his head, and leaning back in his armchair, descants at considerable length upon its beauty, and the cost of maintaining it this is to impress you who are a young friend of the family with a due sense of the excellence of the garden and the wealth of its owner and when he has exhausted the subject he goes to sleep there is another and a very different class of men whose recreation is their garden an individual of this class resides some short distance from town say in the Hampstead road or the kilburn road or any other road where the houses are small and neat and have little slips of back garden he and his wife, who is as clean and compact a little body as himself, have occupied the same house ever since he retired from business twenty years ago. They have no family. They once had a son who died at about five years old. The child's portrait hangs over the mantelpiece in the best sitting-room, and the little cart he used to draw about is carefully preserved as a relic. In fine weather the old gentleman is almost constantly in the garden and when it is too wet to go into it, he will look out of the window at it by the hour together. He has always something to do there, and you will see him digging and sweeping and cutting and planting with manifest delight. In springtime there is no end to the sowing of seeds and sticking little bits of wood over them with labels which look like epitaphs to their memory. And in the evening, when the sun has gone down, The perseverance with which he lugs a great watering pot about is perfectly astonishing. The only other recreation he has is the newspaper, which he peruses every day from beginning to end, generally reading the most interesting pieces of intelligence to his wife during breakfast. The old lady is very fond of flowers, as the hyacinth glasses in the parlor window and geranium pots in the little front court testify. She takes great pride in the garden, too and when one of the four fruit-trees produces rather a larger gooseberry than usual it is carefully preserved under a wine-glass on the sideboard for the edification of visitors who are duly informed that mr so-and-so planted the tree which produced it with his own hands on a summer's evening when the large watering-pot has been filled and emptied some fourteen times, and the old couple have quite exhausted themselves by trotting about, you will see them sitting happily together in the little summer-house, enjoying the calm and peace of the twilight, and watching the shadows as they fall upon the garden, and gradually growing thicker and more sombre, obscure the tints of their gayest flowers. No bad emblems of the years that have silently rolled over their heads, deadening in their course the brightest hues of early hopes and feelings which have long since faded away. These are their only recreations, and they require no more. They have within themselves the materials of comfort and content, and the only anxiety of each is to die before the other. This is no ideal sketch. There used to be many old people of this description. Their numbers may have diminished, and may decrease still more. Whether the coarse female education has taken of late days, whether the pursuit of giddy frivolities and empty nothings has tended to unfit women for that quiet domestic life, in which they show far more beautifully than in the most crowded assembly, is a question we should feel little gratification in discussing. We hope not let us turn now to another portion of the london population whose recreations present about as strong a contrast as can well be conceived we mean the sunday pleasurers and let us beg our readers to imagine themselves stationed by our side in some well-known rural tea-gardens the heat is intense this afternoon and the people, of whom there are additional parties arriving every moment, look as warm as the tables which have been recently painted, and have the appearance of being red-hot. What a dust and noise! Men and women, boys and girls, sweethearts and married people, babies in arms and children in chaises, pipes and shrimps, cigars and periwinkles, tea and tobacco!' gentlemen in alarming waistcoats and steel watch-guards promenading about three abreast with surprising dignity or as the gentleman in the next box facetiously observes cutting it uncommon fat Ladies with great long, white pocket-handkerchiefs like small tablecloths in their hands, chasing one another on the grass in the most playful and interesting manner, with the view of attracting the attention of the aforesaid gentlemen, husbands in perspective ordering bottles of ginger-beer for the objects of their affection, with a lavish disregard of expense, and the said objects washing down huge quantities of shrimps and winkles, with an equal disregard of their own bodily health and subsequent comfort, boys with great silk hats just balanced on the top of their heads, smoking cigars and trying to look as if they liked them, gentlemen in pink shirts and blue waistcoats occasionally upsetting either themselves or somebody else with their own canes. Some of the finery of these people provokes a smile, but they are all clean and happy and disposed to be good-natured and sociable. Those two motherly-looking women in the smart pelisses who are chatting so confidentially, inserting a "ma'am" at every fourth word, scraped an acquaintance about a quarter of an hour ago. It originated, in admiration of the little boy who belongs to one of them, that diminutive specimen of mortality in the three-quartered pink satin hat with black feathers. The two men in the blue coats and drab trousers who are walking up and down smoking their pipes are their husbands. The party, in the opposite box, are a pretty fair specimen of the generality of the visitors. These are the father and mother, and old grandmother, a young man and woman, and an individual addressed by the euphonious title of Uncle Bill, who is evidently the wit of the party. They have some half-dozen children with them, but it is scarcely necessary to notice the fact, for that is a matter of course here every woman in the gardens who has been married for any length of time must have had twins on two or three occasions it is impossible to account for the extent of juvenile population in any other way observe the inexpressible delight of the old grandmother at uncle bill's splendid joke of tea for four bread and butter for forty and the loud explosion of mirth which followed his wafering a paper pigtail on the waiter's collar the young man is evidently keeping company with uncle bill's niece and uncle bill's hints such as don't forget me at the dinner you know i shall look out for the cake sally i'll be godfather to your first wager it's a boy and so forth are equally embarrassing to the young people and delightful to the elder ones As to the old grandmother, she is in perfect ecstasies, and does nothing but laugh herself into fits of coughing, until they have finished the gin and water warmth with, of which Uncle Bill ordered glasses round after tea, just to keep the night air out, and to do it up comfortable and regular after such an astonishing hot day. It is getting dark, and the people begin to move. The field leading to town is quite full of them. The little hand are dragged wearily along, the children are tired, and amuse themselves and the company generally by crying, or resort to the much more pleasant expedient of going to sleep. The mothers begin to wish they were at home again. Sweethearts grow more sentimental than ever as the time for parting arrives. The gardens look mournful enough by the light of the two lanterns, which hang against the trees for the convenience of smokers and the waiters who have been running about incessantly for the last six hours think they feel a little tired as they count their glasses and their gains end of section sixteen